you've tapped or clicked in to College Volleyball Weekly on Viral Volley Media. Now here's your host, Rob on Mike. Hey, good day, everyone. We are on episode number four of the <laughs> NCAA Men's Volleyball, College Volleyball Weekly uh, uh, Men's Top 20. Stumbling because I'm tired from all the travel, but um, on screen, this is going to be a good intro. Theo Edwards of CSUN, Brad Ross Stratter of UC San Diego, Dan Fran of Lewis, and the Black Box, known as Jay, if you're on video, because... He's having some technical problems with his video or his agent said that his name, image, and likeness can't be used because they're making way too much money. One of those <laughs> things. So uh, good day, gentlemen. <clears throat> What's going on, Rob? Good morning. All right. I, I know Dan doesn't want to explain this, but I know one of the questions that was has been asked after we started talk, mentioning D2 championships uh, about the expansion and growth, but I don't know if Dan, you can do just a quick like summary of what you just said before yeah <laughs> so I, I i do want to explain that i just wait wait wait. I, I happy to birthday to dan friend of the dan aliens because he hates yeah. that name birthday, <laughs> we're on a dan happy alien birthday. attack today <laughs> uh, i'm still i'm still younger than the black box down there so i'm okay you know I, mean? <laughs> uh, I do want to explain it to everybody because i think they need to know uh our listeners do um and I just I did explain it a little bit to the group here. So so basically about a week ago, uh, Division Two passed the next step in terms of uh, them being able to create a championship with 35 teams. It used to be 50. Um, now it takes 35 sponsoring a sport. Um, certainly men's volleyball is not the only sport affected. Um, there's a lot of collegiate championship sports out there. I sit on a a committee that has you know rifling and bowling and hockey and a bunch of these sports. Women's boy and be one of those other sports that uh, ultimately could look to create a division two championship uh, with now, because they've got in the forties and you only need 35, but there is a process with it. Um, and so it's not like, Hey, it just happens already this next year. It's like uh, it ultimately has to be a proposal has to be put together. Uh, then the proposal has got to go to a legislation. Then it has to come to budget and then it has to come back to legislation to approve all that uh, creating what the, format might be creating a budget for it and then division two has to fund that budget and all the things that kind of come along with it so it's a three four year process minimum once the proposal gets started in terms of that so it's not something that's happening right away right now and we certainly know that the landscape of college athletics is pretty volatile anyway from that standpoint but i mean ultimately in my personal opinion i think you know down the road, it could be a good thing. It's like uh, if you get 50 Division ones and 50 Division twos, and then you look at making that separation then, and uh, you're continuing to create more opportunities for for young men, and uh, that could be a really good thing. But I think in the phase we're in now, we're trying to get the championship to 12 and uh, get that expansion going uh, as soon as possible. And uh, we need everybody to be a part of that in order to do that right now. And so, so I do I think it's happening down the road? Yeah, right now, no, but... Uh, uh, we'll also see what Olympic sports look like at all here in the next couple of years with everything that's going on with the power fours or fives, you know, from that standpoint. But, uh, but yeah, I can answer any other questions you guys could think of, but hopefully that helps the listeners understand the process a little bit. And I do think division twos are going to be different. Like, you know, you got some schools that uh, are going to be like, no, I want George Mason or Northridge or San Diego or UCLA in my gym. And 
uh, it promotes what we're doing and we're the only school playing those uh, those institutions. You'll have other places like, well, we can't really compete with them and we want to try our hat at uh, just, you know, winning a D2 national championship. I, I think you guys know which hat I wear, but uh, that route's going to be a little bit different for all those schools in, in terms of that. Well, thanks, Dan. Anything to add on for the other guys on screen now that we have apparently Jay's agent said it's okay to show his video now, so... <laughs> I think I think it's interesting. It's an interesting conversation because of two two points, and and one for me is is the scholarship, right? The the four and a half scholarships being a limitation for men's volleyball in general. To me, it keeps a ceiling on the difference between Division One and Division Two. And from a resource perspective, if you look at schools like a Northridge, UC San Diego, UC Irvine. George Mason and Lewis, I would gather, and I don't know this factually by numbers, that our budgets are very similar across Division One and Division Two. Now, obviously, if you go Power Five Division One men's volleyball, their resources are definitely different than most of us. But as far as the mid-major D ones and the Lewises of the world, I think our I think our schools are similar. I think our budgets are similar, and I think the divide. I don't know that it's necessary like it is in other sports. Now, if you change the scholarship limitations, I think you start to have a different conversation. Um, but I also think that you start to put the potential of the mid-major D1s in a difficult spot, even in that divide, because I don't know that they compete the same way with, with obviously the power fives. Um, and so it's a complicated question. And I think one right now that obviously uh, I don't know that anybody would really be in favor of it as we watched consistently division twos um, contesting and, and obviously incredibly competitive competitive Lewis has been to the, you know, to the tournament multiple times. And um, so it just, it doesn't seem from a, from a volleyball perspective, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense currently as, as things stand. I think the you know, this uh, the flip side of that is I think you got to throw us out of the equation. I think you got to put in like Conference Carolinas and the SAIC and where are they budgeting these schools? The EEC who's just getting off the ground and so like I think we're the yeah. aspiration of Division Two and that's not meant to come out arrogant, uh, but I think uh, you got a lot of those schools that are trying to figure out just like I look at Central State or Kentucky State and they're still coaching both programs and where are those budgets and where they're at. So you'll get presidents from that side that where are they at or how do they look at that compared to maybe a couple of the outliers like us or McKendry or a couple of those in terms of that? Yeah. And I don't, I don't disagree with that, Dan, but I think when you look at those schools in order to give a great experience to your athletes, they should be at a budgetary perspective, similar to ours, given the nature that for most of those schools, you're adding growth is to your student body, right? At only four and a half scholarships, whether you're fully funded or not, most of your rosters can be in the 20 to 24 range. You're getting kids that are that are paying tuition. And so being able to shell out a, a, a budget that's that makes a, a great experience for student athletes, I think that I think that that's something that can be done. I don't know that it's far-fetched. And we're seeing schools like Lincoln Memorial and we're seeing schools that are starting to break that ceiling just a little bit. And that part I think is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree that. And I'm, I'm going to chime in here because I, I agree with all of those points. The, the sad part is, is that you see the growth at the mid-major level for Division One, uh, a little bit slow, but in recent years, it's picked up just a little bit. What used to be the case for enrollment-driven schools, 
is that those extra 20 to 24 kids um, is, is pretty impactful when it comes to, you know, maybe a 2000 to 3000 student university, like the conference Carolinas, to, uh, for an example, George Mason has 40,000 students. So an extra, you know, five or six or 20 students, isn't really going to make that big of a deal or an impact and universities aren't using that money uh, necessarily to help, you know, improvements across campus. So, if, if, if the case is is being made to do it just because you want more kids on campus, I'm not sure that the larger universities are going to be the ones that, that, that make that and make that argument. The second part is, and, and this is more of an administrational thing, right? When you have the ability to put UCLA or USC or BYU in your gym uh, and you're a smaller school, and I'm going to use Lewis as an example, uh, that brings in some some butts in the seats without question. Sadly, when you're a bigger school uh, and you're bringing in, uh, you know, a Lee's McRae or an Emanuel, you might not be bringing in uh, butts in the seats because nobody knows who those are. Those are not brand name recognition schools, if you will. And it's not a slam against those programs by any standard. But name brand recognition is what drives viewership. It's what drives butts in the seats. And so. I wonder if in five years I'd be interested to hear what some of these schools are saying, because I think Dan's right. Some schools want to compete for a national title and staying in D2 and that championship might work. Some schools like Lewis have established themselves and maybe want to try to reclassify or stay at Division One. So it'll be interesting to see it for sure. Good stuff, Brad. Anything else to add? Because I this next uh, tidbit, we'll call it the growing the game tidbit, because you one of you mentioned already, uh, we missed on one of the expanding programs is at Willem Jessup University in Rockland, California, but that was in July of uh, 2023. I'm sorry, in July of 2023, another announcement, which we may not have discussed, but Menlo and Vanguard University, Brad's former gig, are joining the MPSF in 2025. And then recently, William Jessup University in Rockland, California, is uh, adding men's volleyball and will most likely join the MPSF from what I can read so far. But Jessup, cool name, Jester in the movie Top Gun, in case you guys are uh, trivia fans, best guy on that show. But um, with that, because of that expansion, obviously we have uh, UCLA, USC, that Big Ten thing, which I still trying to understand, but we got growth and it's coming into the MPSF. But um, uh, Brad, why don't you speak about your experience with being coming from Vanguard, which is an NAIA school, and then coming up here and seeing the growth. And now they're gonna be joining potentially all of us here on screen. Yeah, even when I was at Concordia as a player and early on coaching, you know, it was a part of that NAIA to division two transition. So it's something I've gotten to see from a couple different lenses, but really, you know, I think continuing off this bigger conversation we're having is it's a lot of it's gonna be dependent on the location of these division two programs and what's going to be more cost effective to where I could see a lot of the teams in California wanting to stay with the division one model and continue on that path so that they can make sure and ensure that they're bringing in all the name brand schools that are within California each and every season coming into their gym um, because that's going to be the biggest piece. And then in terms of that growth, I think it's a testament to the level of play and the level of coaching and the level of, players that we have just across the sport at the youth level that they can be coming into, you know, these NAI programs that are now going division two and being able to compete with just about any school in the country. And 
Uh, I think that's just always cool to see because the growth is showing at lower levels and it's obviously expanding to where we're having a lot more parity or balance within, you know, national volleyball as opposed to just regional volleyball. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyone else on the expansion with the addition of those three programs within the last six to eight months? All good? Yeah. The MPSF will look completely different than what people used to remember the MPSF being. Uh, and I wonder in three years what that all is going to be. M MPSF will be, uh, yeah, com completely different. If if it survives after the, it, all the other conference movement stuff, Jeremy, I mean, you might see a different conference evolve out of it. So, yeah. Yeah, I remember the days of the Weva. They had the two divisions underneath the Weva, the West Coast <laughs> Intercollegiate Volleyball Association, back when there was a Loyola Marymount San Diego State in there in the mix. So, well, yep. I think Brad, you or Rob, you hit it on the head talking about the potential futures with Ohio State, UCLA, USC, right? Penn and Penn State now all being in one conference from a university perspective. And what that all means, and I think that there's there's kind of two conversations that are echoing around that, and one is one that's incredibly confident and incredibly excited, right, about the possibility of maybe two additional Big Ten teams, but you know, obviously joining men's volleyball. The other one is like a, a nervousness and a little bit of a concern in in the sense that potentially men's volleyball is not the focal point for for universities like that. And the ability to to want to keep up with the Joneses, right? The SECs, the 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 football mottos of the world, and and go against men's volleyball, and maybe not be incredibly supportive of of what we're trying to do and and the the great game that we have. And um, so I, it's interesting around the volleyball community. I've kind of heard both sides of that conversation, and um, it's been a really interesting one. Yeah. One of the great things, though, Rob, and you're going to probably segue into this, is that that first point even exists. Look at you. <laughs> you're right. You know I mean, so like, I think we've got some leadership within the ABCA that is super pro men's volleyball. Uh, and you got first point who's done this fantastic job and it's in place that uh, is really helping men's volleyball. So I think with all the other outside factors, I, I'd be really even more concerned if we didn't have first point or they weren't around in terms of that. So, yeah, totally agree. Good call. Anything else on the expansion? All right. Well, that's actually a great segue, Dan. Look at the birthday guy looking clean. <laughs> I mean, there's something about Dan. He's got an extra glow to him today. Is it the extra year? Oh, <laughs> oh all you on podcast just saw Jay go all special effects on us. No I wonder he's got technical difficulties. <laughs> so. Yeah, I didn't know flip phones could do that, man. I didn't know flip phones could do that. <laughs> well, I don't know why. Jay's had a Motorola deal in place for his NIL. <laughs> well, uh, uh, first point was this last weekend, and that's a great transition because that's where I was at. The reason why I couldn't really get any details on everyone else's matches because it was back to back to back matches each day with a small window between each one. And by the time I got to the video screen at night, people are going five and dropping their fifth set. You know, um, but. You know, was, <laughs> um, but it was a great weekend. But I wanted to put it to you guys. Um, should we talk results or impact? We'll go results of, of what we saw at first point, and then we'll talk about the impact of for the first point collegiate challenge. So uh, any matches 
stick out big for you. And let's go with Mr. Fireworks guy because he got our attention with that special graphic. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping some other emoji or something comes up. Uh, I'll tell you what stuck out to me was that Penn State went on two uh, and that Stanford is still undefeated. Those are the two most uh, surprising things. I know everybody wants to talk about Ohio State beating UCLA uh, as being an upset of sorts, and it's not an upset. Ohio State's very good. Um, you know, and people don't understand it's a neutral zone. It's a neutral court. Anybody can win anywhere on neutral courts. And, and Ohio State's proven that they're going to be a real big handful for everybody in the Miva this year. But I thought Stanford uh, is just, they're humming on all cylinders right now. They're really excited to watch. Rotman is uh, doing some great things. That's my player of the week choice, by the way. Don't steal him. Uh, but uh, Stanford is just humming on all cylinders. They got a bunch of upperclassmen that are playing together that have been together for a while. Um, and, and they're doing some really nice things. So those are the two things that stuck out for me at first point. Uh, any uh, match particular was your favorite to watch? Uh, I'd have to say Stanford Penn state would be the one that, that probably stuck out. Gotcha. All right, let's go to Dan. What stuck uh, out for you for first point? Well, I wanted to see what was going to happen with Ball State and Tanisha. So Tanisha was back in the lineup. Certainly he went off on one of the matches, and then Stanford slowed him down on the other match. Uh, but, yeah, you ultimately had a guy who hadn't played the first eight or nine matches with them and inserted into the lineup and uh, kind of see where Ball State was at, what they were going to do from that standpoint. So, uh, And, you know, at the same time, uh, SC still kind of plugging along. Do you know what I mean? They, they you know, they're – they're, they're steadying out. They've got Kayla Blanchett in their setting now. Um, uh, and you're seeing them do some nice things. Is it the, the big middle is at Kyle, right? The big middle. Kyle Wilson. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, you know, it'll be curious to see how they continue to kind of grow as well from their standpoint uh, in terms of that. And no shocker with Ohio State. You know, I, I thought, you, I think you got a player of the year candidate on that team, I think, you know what I mean, in terms of his ability to kind of take over a match with the serve and do some things at the same time. Yeah. I just say that uh, for Tanashi and Davos Acheva of ball state. Um, he tells his first match jitters on there, but you know, he did go off on, into the first match. I believe that was off the top of my head. USC was the first match. And then Stanford just gave him too much trouble. They were trying to take away all of it. Cause I was sitting on an end line. He's still hitting over the block, but he had so many attack errors hitting wide and that, you know, back corner, area five, missing long, because they were taking everything they could on the line, making him hit that angle, and he was hitting wide. But, man, he's still elevating so high. And Patrick Rogers is a great compliment. I just think they got to get all dialed in and get some rhythm here in the season. And then Kyle Paulson, one of the top middles, like flying under the radar for USC. Tough serve, great athletic blocker, good lateral movement, and uh, – Coach Nygaard was so excited with the, with this play this last weekend. And uh, can't forget Dylan Klein. Um, I've got some highlights from one of my phones, and he thumped so many balls. Like, just beast mode. I, I feel like he's in beast mode activation big time the entire weekend. So, But those are definitely great, great choices. Um, we'll go over to Brad. Thoughts on the uh, first point? Yeah, I mean, the two big winners were clearly Ohio State and Stanford. Right? And Ohio State, specifically in the UCLA match, just passed really well. They served extremely well. UCLA was almost never in system. Um, and that just created a lot of stress on, on those UCLA passers, which a lot of those guys have played in a lot of big matches and faced a lot of tough serves. So I think that's a testament to Ohio State as a serving team. And then Ohio State defensively is really, really scrappy. 
Um, they're making a lot of really good plays or they're, I don't know, statistically, but I'd imagine they're one of the top teams on defense in terms of how they're playing, the digs they're getting per set, um, which has been really, really interesting to see, especially since they're more known for their serving and their ability to apply pressure on that side of the net. Um, and then Stanford, two great matches, two great performances, and uh, Moses Wagner really coming through as as a right side opposite for them when they had Teo Snui last year, who played great as a freshman, and seeing Moses Wagner step in and beat him out for that spot or contend for that spot and really put up some nice numbers and really all their matches they've had this year. They, he really hasn't had an off night. Um, I think those are the two big pieces that really popped out to me. Yep. Right, you, Theo? Yeah, I, I think these guys these guys nailed it all. Um, but, you know, I think that Ohio State performance was huge, right? Pastor hitting 500 with 23 kills against UCLA. I, I mean, that's unbelievable. And, you know, Dan said it. I, candidate for player of the year is, is definitely, definitely something that we can be talking about at this point. Um, but, yeah, I thought Stanford was really impressive. I, the, the fact that Penn State, lost both but didn't win a set um that was surprising that was definitely surprising not just not just that they lost but the way that they lost um and then yeah I, you know ohio state goes five twice right beats usc and beats ucla um i would imagine those guys were exhausted banged up and and still found a way to get it done and uh some of that volleyball was really really high level uh, the defensive end for ohio state was was fantastic i'm, I'm right there with with Brad and that um, some of the digs that they made, some of the transition points, just some really gritty volleyball. It was awesome. Hey, Rob, well, he, let me ask yep. since you were there. Um, I mean, the last two years, it's been two matches each day. Yep. Uh, this time there were three matches each day. Just your thoughts with that. And were there constant fans in there? And I mean, how, do, how does that feel? That is an excellent question because I was going to mention it at one point, but there is a minimum of about 2000 people in the stands for every match, yeah, be it juniors coming over from the Lone Star Classic, that was called, uh, coming over to watch the play. But there were definitely the minimum of the 2,000. And then obviously towards the evening, it was, you know, they said on the, uh, the official box score is 2,400. I'm like, that place had to be closer to 3,000 because I they probably did that to uh, avoid the fire marshal, the wrath of the fire marshal, because there are people standing around over on the end line. And it was a thick crowd. And they were able to get uh, Kevin LaRue. He's a, a honorary coin toss there. Uh, so that drew some people in. Uh, of course, uh, Maddie Skinner was there for both days. I guess she's uh, friends with Merrick McHenry. So she's watching all his matches. And I mean, there's a great Texas showing. Then you had all the guys trying to be incognito in the crowd. You know, Eric Sullivan, David Hunt. Um, you know, he had Mick Haley on the broadcast with Steve Rotman and um, a few other people I'm going to fail to mention because there's that many people there. They're going to hand me a list of VIPs like that's way too many. So um, it, it's great seeing the excitement of volleyball and how many people are in there and how jazzed all the kids were to actually meet and get autographs of these uh, players and selfies and all that stuff. And I mean, those guys are great. Shout out to those players as being great ambassadors this weekend because these kids are, you know, they're probably these uh the athletes are twice their size and, and they're signing balls and all this stuff. And um they did it. So on the Thursday night before the play starts, each team had a 30 minutes minute segment of a clinic and they taught a skill. Uh, so it was really cool seeing all the athletes engaging with, you know, 200 or so of the local juniors players showing them how to improve their game. And, you know, hearing like Pav talking to the kids and, 
um, getting like her out there who's towering over every single kid. And so it was a, it was a great vibe. So that, that brought more people in and the buzz got around in the town. They're like, Oh, so what are you doing? Working the volleyball tournament, volleyball, women's Texas is playing. No, this is men's and you should check it out. So uh, it was a great, I mean, hats off to Glenn and Kathy Litsky uh, for having the vision to do this and support first point this way, because they did a phenomenal job. They've upgraded everything. You know, it's still not perfect, but they're not event. They're not major event promoters of like the Olympics. They are a, a, a married couple who own a company and just said, you know, let's do this for men's volleyball. And it was pretty darn good. And for if this is their, their first shot at trying to do the big production, it was pretty darn good. So, uh, and it, it got a lot of excitement in the area. So yeah, thank you for asking that. <laughs> but back to the players, uh, you know, name that that didn't come up, uh, I think it's because of the upset was uh, UCLA. That was a five-set match. But I will tell you one thing, if there's a team that was going toe-to-toe from the service line with the Bruins, it was Ohio State. And I had no idea. Um, obviously, getting the attention last week was Dick, Jacob Pasher's 80 mile per hour serve. I'm like, is this real? I actually joked with him on the podcast. Like I want to see 80. I get, well, he didn't hit 80, but uh, just the way he's hitting sidelines and seams created so much trouble for uh, UCLA. But when UCLA was on, you can tell their serving was hot sets one, two sets. They won. And then it just kind of got cold. So, um, but Andrew Rowan is a phenomenal setter and, um, he took a shot to the face in the uh, final match against Penn State. Had a lot of blood coming out, but he he finished up, and I hopefully he's doing okay. He was uh, in good spirits after the match, and uh, I was jabbering with him on <laughs> messages like, "Hey, you got a, a cosmetic surgery there, uh, courtesy of First Point." So, um, <laughs> but uh, it was phenomenal play, and um, I don't I hate <laughs> talking as much about, but it's such a big deal because of how much effort went into this and the support of the entire men's volleyball community. And seeing the women come out and support it from Texas, because uh, Devin Kehawaii was also there from Texas, and you know she had a bunch of Hawaiian friends on Ball State. I think Xander Pink, and uh, we're gonna forget the other guy's name because he came in for a little bit, but met his mom and like, yeah, we're friends with so and so. But just seeing the connections in the community coming support each other was such an incredible thing. And even Stein Metzger, the indoor sellout, now beach volleyball coach at Texas, he is at the matches, so uh, it's good to see him as well. So. Um, Anything else about first point we want to touch on? No? Are we good? There were players of the matches go on my Instagram feed. You can find out who they are. So <laughs> there's a lot of other volleyball going on. But uh, non-first point volleyball action, I want to put it to you guys because I didn't get as much details as I normally get when watching matches. So uh, I've got some stats, but I didn't see any of the plays. So uh, we'll we'll start off with uh, Theo on this one and then go to Brad and then uh, to Jay and then uh, Dan. Sure. I, there were a couple of matches that I was kind of excited to see and 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 watch how some teams performed. Long Beach traveled to NJIT um, and was able to beat NJIT up there. Uh, you know, they're playing some really good volleyball right now. Clark Godbold hit 487, 21 kills. Um, and they, they're starting to put some pieces together. Like, you know, if you watch Long Beach's early matches, some inconsistencies, some things on, on, on the back half for them that really were not firing on all cylinders um and it to, feels to me like they're starting to play pretty well they're starting to get it going from the service line and starting to apply some pressure and and uh they're looking a lot better the other match was uh the Pepperdine and McKendry um I thought that was an interesting one uh was kind of excited to see where McKendry kind of lands and 
thought Pepperdine was a good test for them. And Pepperdine ended up winning that one in four. And uh, it was it was a pretty good matchup. Did they end up playing twice? Or they yes. only won? Okay. Night, night one, Ryan Barnett, one. 15 kills, 448 against McKendry. <laughs> Yeah, that and that was the four setter, right? I, I yep. watched that's the one that I watched. Um, and it was good. It was good volleyball, good battle. The, both those teams I thought I thought played pretty darn well. Um, uh, but obviously Pepperdine came out on top. Yep. Yeah, Long Beach, Long Beach played Mason too. So I think that was the one that intrigued me as well, just so you know, Theo. I thought, yeah. So go ahead, Dan. No, no, I'm jumping my turn. I just didn't want to forget. <laughs> no, no, Long those Beach those were my two. Go ahead. No, Only two for Theo. Wow. Okay. Let's go to Brad then. He took my two as well, but uh, <laughs> but I uh, will go Long Beach George Mason then, uh, and then let let Dan take it away. Well, I, I haven't watched it yet, so I, you take it away. Like I just know that they played. I was like, I wanted to see how Mason would get tested because they had a great win against Irvine, and I watched Long Beach play um, uh, uh, Merrimack uh, the week before because we were playing Merrimack, and so. Uh, I know, uh, Brad. If you got to watch it, if you watched it already, throw it, throw some thoughts in there. So no, I think the the only thing that really stood out is you know Long Beach. You know, still is like finding their stride. You can tell they're not firing on all cylinders, um, but just Clark Godbold looks really, really good right now, um, and he's having to pass a little bit. He's attacking really, really well, um, and just I think overall they're they're proving to be a really consistent, really steady team that. Um, is nowhere near where they can be. Um, so I think that was one of the big takeaways, you know, and being able to go out on the East coast trip and get three wins and come back home has got to be a good feeling for Al and the rest of the staff. Yeah. That is pretty telling because uh, Soto's uh, Shapani's didn't have his usual numbers. And, but the fact that Long Beach is still good with him being down is scary to think. So um, when he gets dialed in, which he will, without a doubt, maybe it's the cold air of the East coast, but uh He's Long Beach was already good. They're going to be so much better when Soto's is back on it. Uh, I think we go to Jay from there. I'm going to do the Dan friend look and go half in a screen, half out. Uh, <laughs> be the friend. Um, obviously, you know, I saw Long Beach this weekend and, and God bold had the numbers that Theo mentioned earlier against NGIT and he hit 567 against us and had 18 kills in, in the four game match. But um, you know, the one that, that I was watching uh, was Northbridge and Princeton. Uh, I was up late uh, trying to <laughs> trying to get some work done and, and put together a report for the next day and and uh, and watched a battle that I think and correct me if I'm wrong, Theo, 54 ties and something like 20 some odd lead changes throughout the course of the match. I think no team had more than a two point lead at any given point. Um, it was like watching a prize fight, uh, in Harrington, I'm sure Theo is going to have nightmares about him in the coming weeks, but Harrington was serving BBs and, uh, I'm not sure that Northridge has seen that speed quite yet in this season. They, they will obviously as the year goes on, but you know, if you're not paying attention to Harrington, you're not paying attention to the right guy. He's, uh, he's an absolute handful and Omeni is now on the outside. Uh, and is hitting over people on a regular basis. Uh, and it was really fun to see uh, him and Northridge's opposite going after each other because they're both in altitudes that not a lot of kids are in. Uh, <laughs> and it was really, really, really fun to watch. It was a great match. I know Princeton came out on top, 16-14 in the fifth. 
but it was no short, uh, no shortage of just being an absolute bloodbath of a knockout punch after a knockout punch on both sides. So a lot of fun to watch. Good call. Was what that was when I was able to catch uh, while sitting in Austin. So, but uh, Theo and uh, Sam are going at it pretty good. Made it super entertaining. That's for sure. <clears throat> it was a good battle, and I I got a our, one of my uh, players of the week is actually one of our guys. I don't do it often, but our our opposite Jalen Phillips had thirty three swings, twenty one kills, hit four eighty five um, as a freshman, and he's playing some really really great volleyball. Oh, Theo so, Edwards so numbers, huh? From back in the uh, Matador days? <laughs> Way back in the days, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Dan, you got yours? You think you're ready to, to tee it off? Sure. Uh, I just <laughs> give Sam some love. He beat two guys on this screen. He beat Brad, too, just so you guys know. <laughs> See what I mean? It's so, like, now he's just got to play Jay and me. So then he can say he beat the whole group. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, that, well, I mean, a lot of great matches already mentioned, but you did have Santa Barbara and BYU play. Uh, and BYU came out twice on top. Uh, Trent Mosier had uh, some pretty steady numbers for them, uh, just in terms of kind of being the guy that's kind of in the lineup now. 22 kills uh, on one night, hitting 439. Um, and then I think the other night he was 14 kills, hitting 522. And so um, certainly key wins there for BYU, I guess, what, which is a talented Santa Barbara team. Uh, and we played BYU firsthand. I know these guys on the screen played Santa Barbara, but uh, uh, certainly good, two good solid wins. The other one maybe a little bit on the down low was uh, Lincoln Memorial and North Greenville. And I think that went five. So we remember Lincoln Memorial's got a new head coach uh in there and so certainly north greenville has been a a a great conference carolina team shortly and so um but there's an interesting score i I just don't know if this is right to see the match i just saw it yeah was it 15-1 actually in the fifth game or do you just have the score wrong i just didn't see it live you know what i mean so did i type that wrong I'm just double checking because if it was, I'm like, whoo. Okay, right, well, I'm, I hope it's 10. That was like, again, I, late night. It's probably 10. Updated. I would go with the 10. <clears throat> you know so, but anyway, uh, certainly a good battle there. And Lincoln Memorial came out on top in there. So 1511. 1511. <laughs> Sounds better. <laughs> so. You always got to go to 11, just like in Spinal Tap. All right, here we go. <laughs> Friends. <laughs> There's one that I'm surprised that you guys didn't catch here, but um, the preseason NEC favorite. Long Island defeated by Lindenwood of the Miva. Uh, four setter. Uh, Ian Schulter led the way. 16 kills, hit 414. Um, that was because I've been hearing the talk that LIU's pretty darn good. Saw them when they played Long Beach. They looked strong. And St. Francis, even uh, Rummy saying, yeah, they're going to be a good team. But with Lindenwood coming in and knocking them off, that's kind of a yeah, but remember Lindenwood senior heavy. AJ Lewis has been there six years, and he's got a nice group and some nice pieces. So, and those are all deuce games, if I if I remember correctly. Yes, uh, they were actually yeah. an extended one too. Thirty three, thirty one. I I you say surprise? I mean, I play Long Island this week, but Lindenwood's good. They're going to beat some teams in conference, and they're going to be a challenge for sure. Mevas uh, panning out to be quite a uh, brawl fest, huh? I don't know. I think all the conferences are brawl fest. So I just like there are a lot of good players and a lot of good teams. So all right. And with that, <clears throat> let's go with our some of you already dropped your players of the week, but one or two 
even if you steal your other guys, I'll give you another chance here. So uh, let's uh, go backwards now. Go, Dan, who's your uh, player slash players of the week? Uh, Trent Mosier and Ben Harrington. Those are my two guys. So, so that's uh, Trent Mosier, BYU, and Ben Harrington of Princeton. Jay. Yep. Will Rotten and Stanford can crush some people this past week. Which weekend. one? There's Alex and Will. <laughs> Will. Will, the uh, <laughs> older one. We can put them both on there. It'd be a specialist segment there for you. No, no, just hold them on. We don't need two of them on there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, Theo. Jalen Phillips and Jacob Pastor. Excellent. To Brad. I'm going off the off the path a little bit here. We're going the uh, Long Island boy uh, in Malibu, Trey Cole, libero, uh, in the four-set match with McKendry, set the uh, rally scoring record for 19 digs in a match. What? Uh, so great wow. performance, great kid. Great family, and um, yeah, it was cool to see that. I recruited uh, by you. You have to add that Brad in there. Pick, Brad, nice pick. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give one more. I think, I, I think this one, uh, Clark Godbold of Long Beach needs to be recognized as well. Kid had a good yeah. weekend. Yep, good stuff. Now I was gonna go to let's pick our week four matches, but I wanted to ask this because there are only a certain amount of undefeated teams left. Long Beach State at six and zero, Stanford at six and zero, Grand Canyon, which we haven't even really mentioned here. 6-0, Pepperdine 6-0, and then Concordia's 2-0, but they only have two matches, and Charleston's at 4-0. But particularly the MPSF schools, are we beginning to see a shift in the West from the Big West? Because there was a Big West that was doing all the winning in the last few years, and now let's just, if we're real honest, you look at the Big West uh, standings, overall records, everyone has lost now, whereas before it was the Big West all undefeated at this point at any point during the season. So I want to get your thoughts on that shift of uh, power, potentially thoughts. Anyone want to take it? No, there's no shift. Power. It's other teams are getting better and they've recruited better players. And those teams that used to be the, the, the big juggernauts are, you know, they're playing good teams now. And, and thank God it's, it's the parody is awesome. So I don't think there's any, any perennial shift. I think it's just, other teams are getting better. Good for them. I, I, Rob, I don't know about a shift, but yeah, the MPSF's got a, a head up. Like if you like, hey, if the Big West had a head up the past couple of years with because of Long Beach and Hawaii, I, I think right now the MPSF has a few teams that are probably just a little bit on the upside. But you see that. I mean, you've seen it shift. Like uh, uh, you go back, it was the Miva for a little bit in that 14, 15, 16, 17. And then you saw it shift to the to the big West for a little bit from that standpoint. And so maybe we, you have to win a couple more national championships, but you know, if UCLA goes back to back or the MPSF wins again, is there, is there this shift where you see like they're a little bit on the top and you could say that now, but you won't know to the end when it's all said and done a little bit from that standpoint. So. Yep. Yeah. And on that, you know, UCLA obviously brought back all but their libero from last season. So a lot of returners, Grand Canyon brought back everyone, but Christian Janke and then, one of their middles that split time with Cameron Thorne, um, you know, and it, and it shows, especially early on in the year, it shows that experience. Then you look at Stanford brought back just about everyone. So I think those three teams have a lot more of experience together competing on the court. And it really highlights itself early on in the year. I think, uh, I think the players develop, the chemistry grows when we get to March and April, um, you know, and I think that's the big piece. And really in the MPSF, BYU is kind of the younger team, um, out of those main teams that have been playing pretty well. Yeah. Uh, funny uh, factoid or anecdote, former The Net Live uh, hosts, 
Kevin Barnett messaged me a factoid before the matches at the first point. Stanford, six super seniors on the roster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of what we're starting to see too, right? This is technically the last year of kind of the COVID bloom. Um, COVID bloom. But, I don't know if I like that word term. Yeah, I mean it's un, it's unfortunate, but it had so many it had so many domino effects, right? Like in terms of how it affected the game and and college athletics in general. But I think really more than a shift, what we're seeing is has a lot to do with scheduling too, right? uh Loyola scheduled one of the toughest swings I've ever seen in a January that team's three and five that's a fantastic team um and they've just played a lot of really really tough matches and I think right now it's a little too early to tell it's obvious where Stanford is it's obvious that that's a really great team um but I think a lot of those undefeateds are, are really honestly coming from who they've played right if you you throw Long Beach in the same swing as as Loyola maybe they're not undefeated, right? And then I would say, kind of conversely, just like Jay was saying, you know, you go into matches where you have some of your matches are in neutral territory, right? You're in neutral ground. Things get really interesting. You start to see a lot of things swinging in different different directions. So um, it's too early to tell, but the MPSF sure as hell is looking good. Well, one of the teams up, that uh, – oh, go ahead, Dan. You brought up Charleston at 4-0. and out. I, I want him to play somebody. Like, he's got a great group. Like really maybe it's a budgetary group. thing or what that is. And I think he's a great coach. I just want him, I want to see them tested. Last year they were undefeated for a stretch of time, but hadn't been tested for until they got in the conference play. And so I think uh, I haven't looked at his schedule. Uh, maybe he's got a couple coming up and I can look it up, but I think that's a group where we've seen some success and I'd love to see them in the mix with some of these conversations where they're playing top 15, top 20 schools in terms of that. Yeah, Jay, doesn't EIVA start like in two weeks? So it's pretty coming pretty quick. Yeah, in a couple, in a few weeks, it does start. And Charleston plays um, Lincoln Memorial this week, and I agree with you, Dan. He's his schedule has not exactly been the the highest ranking teams that he's facing. That will change, obviously, come uh, EIBA time. But he's also going out to California on spring break, and we'll see some teams out there that are high caliber as well. That I think will get a, a clearer picture of what Luke's doing at uh, at Charleston. Well, uh, you know, one of the teams, Worley's Wonder Boys at Grand Canyon, and with firsthand experience, are two guys on the screen have already seen them. So I thought I'd tap into that. I mean, Worley's guys, Grand Canyon, have beaten three Big West teams already this season. Uh, Santa Barbara once, UC San Diego twice. Sorry there, uh, Brad. And then uh, CSUN once. (laughs) No, I mean, they're, they're good, and they're playing. I mean, they were better than they were in Santa Barbara. You know, against Santa Barbara, we we held them down offensively, which uh, Nick Slight, who I think is one of the top three setters probably in the country. Um, and he did, you know, when we played them first, he was just good. When we played them on Friday night, he was really darn good and um, really showed that. And him and Gianni's connection is getting a lot better. Gianni has been playing on the right forum and in transition was lights out for them, um, you know, to where it was, if we were not terminating in first ball, it was transition and game over, um, which obviously is men's volleyball. A lot of the, a lot of the time, um, you know, and it'll be interesting to see how they settle in with their libero and their second outside hitter. I think that'll be, you know, that development in those positions will be what can push them into that upper echelon uh, of teams um, within the nation. Yeah. 
Anything to add there, Theo? No, I think I, I think Grand Canyon is really, really good. Um, they're incredibly talented. I mean, we and we it, honestly, it's no surprise, right? Like we we knew that team was going to be good. Um, I think it'll be interesting once they get an MPSF play. I think that's that's where things will we'll really see how good they are um, in, in terms of the quality that they are going to face, because obviously the way that Stanford, UCLA, USC are playing right now, I think that conference is going to be, it's going to be a beast for them. Yep. I forgot to mention one other undefeated team and is an obvious one from the earlier part of our show, Ohio state's undefeated. But uh, I also wanted to add the way they're doing it. One, they're a physical, huge physical team, but they had Michael Wright and Noah Platfoot coming into set and it was there's like no change in the offense. It seemed like um, Shane Wetzel is a monster out of the opposite side, and Cole Young in the middle was so phenomenal. Oh yeah, and, impressive. Yeah, and Thomas Poole, someone that did reference the defense they're playing. Thomas Poole was going horizontal or anything, keeping some like, incredible balls in plays. So uh, Kevin Birch is uh, looking good this year. Sorry for you, Dan. There and uh, Miva is not going to be fun <laughs> for you. So. <laughs> but I did, I definitely want to give Ohio State credit. They're still one of the undefeateds with one of the tough schedules too. So uh, with that, in our short few minutes left, I know someone's got to go to a meeting here on screen. What matches are you watching this week? Let's start with, uh, let's go with Jay to Dan and then uh, back to the West Coast with Brad and Theo. I got a few on my docket I'm going to be watching. Obviously, we're going out to Chicago. We're picking up Lewis and Loyola. I'm completing the Grand Slam series of everybody on the uh, – <laughs> Uh, we'll see how that one goes. I'm excited to play Dan and his boys. They're a good team. I'm going to be watching Princeton BYU. I want to see if Harrington can bring that same heat uh, against BYU and in, in the altitude. I'm going to be watching Northridge USC for the Brothers Hobus show. Uh, it's always a little bit of added pressure and a little bit of added fight when two brothers from opposing teams are going at it. I'm going to be watching Pepperdine versus Long Beach. I want to see what Long Beach does against a team like Pepperdine with their block. Hey, are you going to be coaching it all this week, or are you just watching volleyball this week? What's going no, on? No, no, no. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to phone it in. I'll be in the, uh, I'll be in the office watching all these while my guys are on the road. Um, and then the last one I'm going to watch is Charleston against uh, Lincoln Memorial, only because I think Lincoln's not a bad team. Probably be the toughest team that Charleston's faced yet. I want to see what what Luke and his boys are doing out there in West Virginia. But those are the matches I'll be watching this week. All right, Dan. Yeah. It took a lot. I don't know what to tell you. I'm trying to work on where I'm at now. Do you know what I mean? So, um, Hawaii plays Purdue, Fort Wayne, and uh, Hawaii plays uh, Bull State, I believe. And so I think Hawaii's making a Midwest trek, um, and they're traveling out here. And so I think uh, that'll be interesting to see how do they how do they how do they do in those two gymnasiums? How's the cold weather for those guys? And so. Uh, you know, so I'll try to leave some others since Jay took nine matches, I think, or something like that. <laughs> the benefits of going first. I am looking I get... forward to playing Jay, though. He's coming to our place. I think it's going to warm up a little bit. And uh, certainly at Long Island's um, a, a really good, solid team. So we get both those guys coming to our gym. So <laughs> over to Brad. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm partially stumped here, but I, I guess we'll go uh, Irvine BYU uh, will be a really good matchup. You know, and seeing, uh, I believe that's at Pro, or is that? That's at Provo. Yeah. That's a Provo. three matches Provo. for BYU this week. Princeton so yeah, twice. I, think, I mean, really. Irvine twice. You know, not even just Irvine versus BYU, but Heno versus Altitude. That'll be a, a very interesting one from the end line. <laughs> All right. And then at Theo. Yeah, I, I'm really liking this Ohio State-Penn State 
matchup. Um, and obviously us talking about how Ohio State is undefeated, three of those matches went five, one of them with our UCSD Tritons. Um, and I, I think that team is that team is incredibly good, but they've got they have some moments where they've been beatable. And so it'd be interesting to see how Penn State bounces back after going 0 and three twice this week. Um, is that going at Penn State? They go back and back, right? Or home and home? Is it home and home? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, that'll be a lot of fun. Um, and then Charleston plays LMU. Dan's asking questions about, hey, how are they? <laughs> how do they look? Well, let's see. And LMU is one of those teams that if you, you know, if you sleep on that team, that team will absolutely beat you down. Um, well coached and and they've got some talent. So I think that'll be a fun matchup as well. All excellent calls. I'm sure Pav will be messaging Brad. How'd you do it against Ohio State? So, uh, you know, again, <laughs> another strong crew. Birthday boy, Dan Lewis of, of uh, Dan Lewis, Dan friend of Lewis, Jay Hosick of the mighty Jay Hosicks or George Mason, Theo Edwards of San Fernando State University or Valley State or CSUN, Brad Rostratter of University of Black's Beach, California or UC San Diego. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you again. Uh, good luck this week if you're playing, unless you're Jay, just hanging back, sipping cocktails and watching volleyball on all the streams, right? And then going to Chicago, joining Dan. I'll be at Gino's East having a deep dish while I'm watching all these matches. Pequods, you got to hit Pequods. Uh, Pequods, and I'll go to Portillo's. I mean, let's just make it a oh, trifecta. That's a trifecta right there. Yeah, yeah. All right, okay. gentlemen, have a good Bro, rest of your day. You. We'll chat soon. Hey guys. Thanks for listening to College Volleyball Weekly. Be sure to follow Rob Espero at the Rob on the Mic on Instagram and at Rob on the Mic on Twitter.